Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. We got, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. And uh, last time, last episode, I'm not, I listened to it, and I don't think we gave where they could get a hold of us, did we? We did. We don't have a vicar anymore, so we have to do these kind of things yes. ourselves. It, it takes about a week or so to update the vicar app. And so, is the vicar app getting updated? We have we heard for sure. You, know, I actually haven't talked to him whether he wants to be on the show or not. Okay. Huh. So, interesting. Because I don't, I don't make them. Right. So I guess where you can contact us, uh, you can email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. We're on Facebook. Uh, the Clerical Errors Podcast. We're at Twitter. At me, bro. At Clerical Errors P. P, P for, for podcast. P. Whenever I hear that, I think of, oh, my anniversary coming up. P for podcast. <laughs> Call back to two years ago, I think, the uh, anniversary dedication. That was pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. It made me laugh so, a lot. Uh, what are you guys drinking? I got a special drink I want to talk about. Oh yes, I've I've got uh, I'm st- I've got a uh, one more can here of uh, grapefruit sparkling water. Let me. Uh... Mm. Listener, we haven't heard from you guys. What you guys are drinking? Let us know, please. I've got about two swallows of coffee left. Oh, that's like week old coffee, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's magically delicious. <laughs> so I have. Uh, I was at High V the other day, and I went. I, I was. It's always fun if you guys ever go to a High V. There's like the little healthy food section. Yeah. You guys ever gone into those in that little section there where it's like supposed to be all the healthy foods or like. Oh like yeah. The, the weird, the organic, the weird, like conspiracy. Yeah, or or organic, or you yeah, know, it's kind of like kombucha over the top. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. the funny thing about that section is they also usually have some weird energy drinks, like really? caffeine energy drinks. Is that the section section of the grocery store that makes you uh, uh, run faster to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, likely. Okay. So last week I didn't talk about it. I, I got a an energy drink called Ghost. Oh, I don't have my camera on for you guys. Ooh. I got an energy drink called Ghost. Hmm. Um, which I think is supposed to be one of those like focus ones, um, and it worked. By the end of the episode, I was really focused. Hey, maybe they can be um, my sponsor. <laughs> well, they would. So you're gonna start drinking Ghost from now on. The thing is, like, you start talking to them, trying to make a deal with them, and then they ghost. Oh. They ghost you. <laughs> but oh, we could do the Holy uh, Ghost edition. I also got a. An energy drink called Beyond Raw Burn MF. Uh, I think that it sounds for painful. metabolic formula. Um, it's got a pretty cool looking can, uh, and this is jalapeno pineapple flavor. <laughs> also, this can has 250 milligrams of caffeine, which wow. I think is about the most I've ever seen. And then you're Maybe going to Worlds of Fun. Should be exciting. Yeah, that's right. So I'm gonna taste this. Jalapeno pineapple. Does it burn? 
you know, it's not spicy. I mean, there is spice. Yeah. But it's kind of like like nacho cheese spice where it's like you don't even really notice. Oh, okay. Maybe a little tickle in the back of your throat. Yeah, it's like I, I can tell that for somebody that can't handle spice, this would be really spicy. Mm-hmm. But for even, I mean, I'm not, even jalapenos are sometimes too much for me, and this is just easy. This is nothing. Nice. So what, what other... Uh, it's mostly it's mostly pine, it's pineapple, and then after you drink it, it's just a little... What other uh, in- energy-inducing uh, ingredients does it have? Does it have, like, uh, B12 or... Uh, this one has... Ginseng? Uh, 400 milligrams of maracil. I have no it's idea what that is. 80 milligrams of uh, theanine. Hmm. And uh, 25 milligrams of dynamite, trademark. So that must be like their custom blend. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of nitroglycerin right. thrown in there. <laughs> yeah, it looks like you shouldn't drink that unless you have a good dental plan, Peter. <laughs> oh, there. So fun fact: I looked into the supplement facts on the back because yes, it's got not nutrition facts; it's got supplement facts. Uh huh. And then it says uh, the dynamite twenty-five milligrams is just one chemical that is uh, methyl. Meth? Eber, eberine? <laughs> eberine? Okay. Just No, just give us the first syllable, please. It's methy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all you need to know. <laughs> um, oh, man. And I'm sharing this with Jonah as well. He took half of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we need to get some of that then. Yeah, to get refocused in, so. Uh, I guess we can go on to what are we preaching? About, yeah, what, what right? are you preaching on? Uh, well, there are two. There are two things here we could preach on. There's Trinity eleven, which has the uh, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, or uh, this is also the day that we celebrate Mary, the mother of our Lord. Uh, and the texts there are Isaiah sixty one seven through eleven, Galatians four four through seven. And the gospel reading is Luke chapter one verses thirty nine through fifty five. But but uh, Berg, are you sure you want to do that? You might sound too Catholic if you remember Mary. <sighs> you know this is this is the problem. Like we do remember the saints for their acts of faith, and and it's too bad. Like it is too bad that. What is uh, it about me that makes people sigh? Because <laughs> you you say you say basically what. Uh, I know you say what people are thinking, and it's true. That is how many people would actually view this, unfortunately. But that's the thing, right? Is that we remember the saints, and we don't pray to them because there's only one mediator before God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. But we remember the saints uh, for their faith and for uh, their uh, how they act according to their office. And so, like rulers should actually uh, learn from David how to be a good king. Mm-hmm. Parents should learn. Uh, how to be good parents from, uh, you know, Samson's parents. Or even in funerals, when a, bl- a blessed example of faith passes away, I make often will make use of, this is what you could learn from your grandfather. Right. It says that their good works follow after them. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, so even though it doesn't touch on their salvation, because no one is saved by their mm-hmm. works, um, this is how God has worked in and through them, and so, 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 some clues. How about some biblical words? How what does uh, the angel 
Gabriel say of Mary? Doesn't, uh, when he greets Mary, doesn't he? Yeah, he calls her most highly favored one. Right. So, I mean, if if the Bible calls her the most highly favored one, then we should also talk about her. Right. Well, I mean, may- she gave birth to God, guys. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Not because she was such a pious woman, but mm-hmm. because God uh, lifts up the lowly. And we'll, we'll hear more about that in the Magnificat or the Song of Mary. So I suppose I can get into reading the text here. Now Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So, Berg, one common claim that people outside of the church have against the church especially, actually, in other Christians' denominations against the Missouri Synod, is they think that we are anti-woman. Okay. And then they'll also say, by the way, you're remembering Mary, you sound too Catholic. Yep. That's the way it goes, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, looking at the Bible, is there anyone more blessed and lifted up in all of Scripture than Mary? No. No. And not only that, it's in her calling as a... As a mother. As a mother. So, I mean, how many other people in the Bible does it say, uh, all generations... Will call me blessed. I mean, how... Name them. (laughs) Maybe Abraham, who is the father of faith. Which is done as in his calling as a... As a father. As a father. Right? <laughs> uh, blessed, you know, and Elizabeth speaks that, right? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Right? What a wonderful thing, right? And she is, she is, she is blessed because she believed, right? Mm-hmm. Blessed is she who believed, right? How does righteousness come? Why did, why did righteousness come to Abraham? He believed in God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Why is uh, Mary blessed? Because she believed the words of the angel, mm-hmm. right? And, and she was lowly. Her desire was to be a servant, not to be great. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, is like, she is declared righteous by faith, apart from works. And that's what her whole song is about the Magnificat. It's all about how God really 
reverses the whole situation. Mm-hmm. All of us want to be rich. All of us want to be powerful. All of us want to be this or that. But what happens to those people? They, you put, you put down the mighty from their thrones and you exalt the lowly. You have filled the hungry with good things and the rich you have sent empty away. Which is why, um, you know, nonsense like uh, the purpose-driven life, where it pushes you, you know, so that you can be great, so that you can live a, a rewarding life and and uh, obtain great levels in heaven and all those things. Really, Mary was driven by her faith, her desire to serve, to be a servant, and to be humble. And that's what... And all of that was a gift from God. Right. She didn't set out to be the greatest, most well-beloved yeah. person in Scripture. That was not her goal. Mm-hmm. Her goal was to be a servant. Because if that had been her goal, she would have failed. She would have failed. Because that is uh, trying to be righteous by your works, by your emotions, by your intentions. Which by nature is selfish. Right. So it's interesting. Which is why... I, I went to a wedding, mm-hmm. and it was preached by a Missouri Senate pastor. It was a cruddy sermon. And uh, it's funny, though, because all I'll, these people... I'll do better next time, I promise. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. It was sad. Um, but, you know, this guy, he talks about their faith in God... And then he talked about how they went to these financial study, these financial Bible studies. <laughs> I don't even know how you do that. Um, and how they, uh, you know, how they had like a four or five year plan or something like that. And and it's like, you know what, guys, I'm sure Mary didn't have a plan. Or if she did, you know, it was, I'm going to marry Joseph and we're going to have a family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to live a quiet, peaceable life. And then God completely smashed all of that. I mean, seriously, <laughs> right. right? I mean, God smashed it because, I mean, think of link of where Mary is, okay? She is engaged to Joseph. This angel just told her that she is going to bear a son. She's a virgin, but no one's going to believe her, right? Right, no. <laughs> I mean, Joseph— To this day, people will make fun of this story and say— Oh, yeah, right. That's what happened. Yeah, I mean, and then Joseph, too. Joseph is going to divorce her quietly, right? And so all of these things are going through Mary's head as she is going up uh, to the hill country to visit her cousin, right? She's all alone. Mary is all alone. She, uh, she's been given this great promise, and yet... I'm sure the wheels are turning, and she's like, oh, man, you know, this this isn't going to be easy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this is why uh, what does, and, you know, this will go well, actually, with uh, our continuation of the ordination stuff. Who's actually kind of the mover and shaker in comforting Mary? Martha. Well, you mean Elizabeth? Elizabeth, yeah, sorry. Well, in a sense, right, that's eventually what happens, but... Really, the John is John, right? This unborn baby who has been foretold to be the preacher, right? Mm-hmm. Even before he is born, he begins to point to Jesus, right? He leaps in his mother's womb, you know, really the first sermon that he mm-hmm. preaches, right? 
which is kind of weird that he leaps, right? Uh, but uh, And she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why she gives this great comfort to Mary, right? That blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Right? Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Right? So basically, all of the things that Mary was probably thinking, right? Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? She's comforted by a parishioner, Mm -hmm. right? Elizabeth, another mother whose baby pastor Mm -hmm. pointed to Jesus. Wait, wait. No, the problem is, Berg. That uh, you're making a huge assumptions that a, a baby could have faith. Well, <laughs> well, as I, I'm trying to get another sigh. <laughs> right, you're trying, but I'm too happy at this point to to do that. Right. Um, but that's the thing is that of course babies have faith. Otherwise, they couldn't be part of the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. Oh, well, babies can't have faith, therefore they can't be baptized. Well, then that means they can't be part of the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're going to create two ways to heaven. Mm-hmm. One by faith in Christ and another not by faith in Christ. And that's, you know, so this that's the thing. This age of accountability, all that nonsense is exactly that. It's nonsense. You don't have to go any further than this. Well, you might say, well, that's a special case. No, is it? The Holy Spirit doing his work? <laughs> Right. And you know what's interesting here too is that like this is the way that the church works, right? Um oftentimes the gospel is not just spoken by the pastor. Right? Mm-hmm. In fact, uh it is uh you know, John actually doesn't say anything or really show anything to Mary, right? Mm-hmm. But it's by his preaching that Elizabeth then comforts and consoles Mary and strengthens her for the battles ahead. Right, and mm-hmm. then, out of the gospel that Elizabeth speaks to her, then you get this wonderful hymn of praise from Mary, which right. in and of itself is gospel, right? And so, uh, you know, we talked about this last time, right, where you have kind of this papistic view that is of the ministry that goes through uh, not just you know the Roman Catholic Church, but even Lutherans, as if only pastors can speak the gospel or that only pastors can forgive sins. Um, And it's not true, because every Christian has a general call to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, but here we see the relationship, right? Because it's actually John the Baptist, a pastor, (laughs) who leaps in her womb, and then, you know, and this is the way it should be, right? People come to church, the pastor preaches, just like John, and then they go out and they share it with one. They share the gospel with one another. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, you know people are always well. How do I share the gospel? You can share the gospel by how about you just open your mouth and say Jesus died for your sins, right? And what if you say, hey, you want to come to church with me, right? I, and be able to explain what's going on to them, right? And if you don't know, then, right, then learn. Right? I mean, this isn't When that... was the last time someone said, hey, I have a friend who has some questions about Christianity. Would you be okay, like, talking with her or me and her together? When was that? How often would you say, nah, I don't have time for that? Honestly, it had, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, and in fact, I mean, um, most of the time you don't see that. 
And you look at the stats, the percentages for people who have been invited by a friend to church, you know, and they actually come to church, is much higher than if the pastor invites them. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is the thing. Just because we believe in the office of the ministry, just because we believe that that pastors are important and necessary, that doesn't take away anything from what uh, you know, uh, you know, our parishioners, our laity should be doing in their life. Like Elizabeth is a wonderful example of this mm-hmm. in speaking the gospel to someone who probably was crestfallen, dealing with temptation, all that kind of stuff. So. And, and what's funny about that too is while Mary is the one who is lifted up because she believes, yeah, right, Elizabeth's husband, yeah, he's he didn't right. <laughs> Here you have a guy who is uh, a preacher, right? He's a priest, uh, and he doesn't believe, and so he's silent, right? He's silenced, and that's what unbelief does. It actually closes your mouth, and that's why he can't say anything until you know his son is born. So, but that is an interesting contrast, though, between Mary, mm-hmm. yeah, Mary and Zachariah, and Mary and Elizabeth, and so I, you know, there's a lot. I that... mean, this even comes back to how, and I think we pastors kind of, I think some of our failings came through during COVID, you know, because everybody was in such a rush to put daily devotions online, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think that was I think that was very problematic because it showed that we haven't taught our people how to speak the gospel to their own family. And if they can't speak the gospel to their own family without us being in their living room telling them how to do it, um how are they gonna speak it to anybody else? Mm-hmm. So I do think that, that it shows a weakness probably in our own catechesis. That, that we need to actually do better at. Mm-hmm. So so sometimes these things can actually be good gut checks in that regard. But Right. So. All right. Uh, we are going to... Do you want to do the top 12 list, or do you want to jump right into this to make sure we get through it? Uh, let's jump right into this. All right. So we're going through the vows um, if of the ordination in honor of Berg's eighth anniversary. And... Uh, and uh, while I was on vacation, I made it 23? Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at some of the... That's probably... You look at this baby face and you wonder, is that possible? Yeah, were you like John the Baptist age when you were ordained? Or... <laughs> um, so we're going through the, the, the ordination vows that a pastor makes. Mm-hmm. And um, I encourage you, if you haven't heard the last episode, to maybe listen to that part first. Right. But uh, last question was about whether they believe the canonical books of the Old Testament to be the inspired word of God, meaning that they are, they are God's word inspired by God. And we did talk about that, what that means a while ago, didn't we? Was that in here? Yeah, we call that verbal inspiration. Right. Because there are different people will say, oh yeah, the Bible is inspired, but it was inspired in a general kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can't really like pull a lot out of it. You know, basically you can pull like the general concepts. Right. Uh, we believe in verbal inspiration, verbal meaning word that the Holy Spirit just didn't just put down the general concepts, but that even the very words that were written are God's words. Mm-hmm. 
not necessarily like a typewriter. This, you know, I mean, he uses he uses the the his own, you know, situation. And this is what gets us back to that whole distinction of you know who calls a pastor, right? Is it God or the congregation? The yes. answer is both, right? Yes, God is the efficient author of the scriptures, right? He is the one who is writing it. So where do the prophets and the uh, you know and the apostles come in? Well, they're kind of like different styles of pens, mm-hmm. right? We all have different styles of pens, right? Some are really nice and flowing, and you know you can do some really nice calligraphy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, others really are more like chalk, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, know, you see this in in the New Testament where you know some are more eloquent in the Greek than others. Yeah, and some is really dummy Greek. I mean, uh, Pastor Nauman, who uh, was a missionary in the South, in the Asia region, uh, he actually translated the Bible uh, first into English, so he could translate it into Singala, which is kind of the language of um, Sri Lanka and and India, in some parts of India. And what he did, and he made a, a, a specific translation choice that he would translate the Greek in the tense in which it was written. Because usually what we do is we smooth it all out, mm-hmm. right? But he kept present tense where it was present tense and, and the like. And so when you're reading it, it can actually be very jarring if you're reading it silently. But if you're speaking it out loud, it's like you're telling a story. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a pretty interesting sort of translation choice, uh, and maybe we should actually, because I, the scriptures are meant to be read in a group, out mm-hmm. loud. They are, like that's how the scriptures are meant to be read. Um, that's how they were intended to be read. And that's the way it was for the first fifteen hundred years. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you know the way that we talk about the catechism, that's the same way. Uh, it was meant to be done in a very communal fashion. Right. Not just a straight memorizing or whatever. And to so. say it out loud together. Right. So anyway, I, that's kind of an aside, but, you know. Well, we need to get onto these vows. So the next vow is, do you believe and confess the three ecumenical creeds, namely the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian creeds, as faithful testimonies to the truth of the Holy Scriptures? And do you reject all the errors which they condemn? with the answer, yes, I believe and confess the three ecumenical creeds because they are in accord with the word of God. I also reject all the errors they condemn. So we are a, a creedal church, the apostles, the Athanasian, and the Nicene, and a pastor vows that he also, that is also his confession. Yep. And they were written, these creeds were written in order to, uh, well, the the Apostles' Creed was written for baptisms in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I believe. Uh, the Nicene Creed was written against Arianism, which taught that Jesus, or the Son of God, was a creature, that he wasn't true God. Mm-hmm. The Athanasian Creed was written against other heresies, uh, other false interpretations of who uh, God and Christ and the Trinity are. Okay, Right. So... Uh, that is the purpose of creeds. Creeds are shorthand. Right. So so in that, it, it the pastor's really sh- showing that he believes in the Trinity, right? And right. The, the two natures of Christ, some general doctrine, who, because that's what the creeds do ultimately. 
is they give a clear explanation of who the true God actually is. Right. You know, it's like the uh, the creeds are like uh, the rye whiskey of the Bible. It's just distilled. It's all mm-hmm. distilled down into its this is most basic parts. Of this, and particularly, this is who God is. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people who who believe Jesus is God, but they really are worshiping a different God. Right. Um, and that's what the creeds do. Who is Jesus? Who is the Father? Who is Son? How how are they interrelated yep. and, with each other? And who are they not? Right. Right. And then the next part then, as it goes from, there's kind of a pattern here. It went from uh, the inspired word of God to the creeds, and now to the do you confess the unaltered Augsburg Confession to be the true exposition of Holy Scripture and a correct exhibition of the doctrine of the Evangelical Lutheran Church? And do you confess that the apology of the Augsburg Confession, the small and large catechisms of Martin Luther, the small called articles, the treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope, and the formula of Concord, as these are contained in the Book of Concord, are also in agreement with this one scriptural faith? With the answer... Yes, I make these my these confessions my own because they are in accord with the Word of God. So the, the confess that's basically, in a sense, part of what makes us Lutheran is this aspect. Yeah, I mean we are you know we believe in Scripture alone. So why do we have creeds and why do we have confessions? Well, all of these things are simply reflections. Uh, and they teach what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have some fancy Latin terms for that. We say that uh, the scriptures are the norma normans. They are the norming norm. They are they are the standard. Okay, everything else under that is the creeds and uh, the confessions are norma normata. Mm-hmm. They are the norms that we believe because they actually come out of the norma normans. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the thing. We confess these different confessions uh, not as something equal to Scripture, because they're not equal to Scripture. Uh, scripture stands by itself, but they actually reflect what Scripture teaches. And we still, to this day, there is a process, because new the Word of God doesn't change, mm-hmm. right? But what, what does change is how it things arise and how it needs to be applied. Right. That, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, maybe they couldn't see. And we still have a process. Now, we don't stand, we have things like CTCR documents and statements that we hold to as a Missouri Synod, but that's not in the same way that we hold these other things. Right. But there are times where we, as a Synod, will say, like, you know, the, the confessions don't really say much about abortion. Well, or, 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 you know, even just looking historically. So, you know, there's a lot that our confessions talk about. But one issue that we really had at the beginning of the birth of the Missouri Synod was church. Mm-hmm. After Stefan was kicked across the Mississippi, they had to deal with the question, are we still church? Can we call pastors? Can our pastors preach? Do we have to go back to Germany? Like, mm-hmm. and, this is, and out of that came the Altenburg debates. Uh, what, you know, what... Do we believe, teach, and confess about the church? Uh, and Which is the same kind of discussion they were having at the Reformation as well, right? Only in a different sense of, you know, um, what is the church, mm-hmm. right? 
from the aspect of do we need apostolic succession? Do we need bishops? Mm-hmm. You know, um, are we willing to you know um, bow to bishops if they let us teach the gospel? And the answer was yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, so it's kind of a fun a fun thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so so these things are are ways that help us when we talk about a vow, for example, keep us focused on what we need to be focused. And you know what else? Who, you know, what is this an exhibition of? You know, these confessions. Is it of the Missouri Synod? No. No. It's It's, the Lutheran Church. It's the Evangelical Lutheran Church. We are not sectarian. Right. You You don't make a vow to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Right. The Lutheran Church, as understood by the Book of Concord, in the confessions, right? Because I think that's a good—that's a very good point. Because a lot of people do think that our vow is to the Missouri Synod, and which you not. would make. No, I would not make that vow. Right, it's to the true Lutheran Church of the Confessions. Right, which is just the one holy Christian and apostolic church. <laughs> the next, the next one. Do you promise that you will perform? the duties of your office in accordance with these confessions, and that your preaching and teaching and your administration of the sacraments will be in conformity with Holy Scriptures and with these confessions. Now, something that I think, and then with the answer, yes, I promise with the help of God. One thing I see here that maybe the, the people may not understand is how he does in his practice make a vow not only to scriptures, but also to the confessions. Mm-hmm. So what might be some things in our confessions that, uh, you know, might be things that you've worked towards over the years because that wasn't really reflected in your congregation? I, I would say— I mean, one thing in particular is every Sunday communion, mm-hmm. right? Our uh, Our confessions actually state— that you know we celebrate the mass with all reverence and that it's done every uh you know every sunday and every feast day right mhm um another one might be um uh, you know like in the small catechism you read the preface to the small catechism um no one should go to the lord's table if they don't know the 10 commandments the apostles creed the lord's prayer and what they're you know mhm so right mhm and you know i think as a pastor, you see these things in the confession, right? That you are obliged to uphold, mm-hmm. and then you see the reality, and mm-hmm. these are things that you work toward. So, so you go to the example of the Lord's Supper, knowing the uh, Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed. Someone might say, "Well, okay, Pastor, you, you think these things, but show me in the Bible where you have to know the Ten Commandments." Mm-hmm. I, w- I would you say know, that all falls under examine yourself from 1 Corinthians 11. Right. But but that that the kind of question shows maybe a little disconnect. Right. Between the fact that we make do make a vow because those confessions, the Lutheran confessions, are in accord with Scripture, that we also make a vow to carry out the sacraments as the Lutheran confessions. Right. Or, or uh, private confession. The Lutheran Church never abolished private confession, and many of our congregations don't have that, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these are things that your pastor is working toward in gentleness, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's what we do, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not here to tear a congregation apart, but your pastor brings things in, right? Because mm-hmm. they actually because they actually come from our confessions. And that's why, actually, probably the thing that should happen before anybody calls a pastor is that the call committee, the council, and indeed the entire congregation, they actually read through their confessions. Mm-hmm. Because guess what, guys? Your church constitution actually binds you to these confessions, too. Yeah, go go read your constitution on the very first page. Right. It says it. I guarantee it. It, it says it. And so that's why, honestly— Because your constitution, by the way, in order to be a member of the Missouri Synod, has to have their constitution approved. So so it's not just your pastor, but you yourself are bound to this by being a member of that congregation. You are mm-hmm. bound to our confessions, which means that you should actually know our confessions. Right. Another example of that is even as a voting member— you know, if you remember, usually if you're a member of the voting membership, what do you have to do? I want to be a voter. You usually have to sign the Constitution. Right. And what's on that first page of that Constitution? Right. That <laughs> this is what we believe, teach, and confess. And so, you know, that's the thing. Uh, not only should you give your pastor a little bit of slack and trust when he first gets there, you know, just because he is making pretty powerful promises, but you also have a responsibility as a parishioner to read our confessions mm-hmm. and uh, and to actually maybe help your pastor out <laughs> in some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And to say things like, hey, you know what? Um, even though we didn't grow up with private confession, maybe we should try this. And on the flip side of that, to know them well enough so that if a pastor tries to pull you away, mm-hmm. to point out, to say, well, doesn't it say in the confessions, Pastor? Right. That you vowed, that you promised. Right. And Which is because, it was, you know, you might get the impression that that uh, you shouldn't conf- talk to your pastor about these things. I've got a list that I don't know if we'll get to today of how to talk to your pastor when there is some sort of a disagreement, you know. But to do so, part of it is, you know, you do have as a member— responsibility to actually make sure that your pastor is not leading... Right. I mean, your pastor is not a dictator. Mm-hmm. He is not a dictator. We, and, because and, we, we, we had a, a lesson not too long ago where we're wolves among the sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice how part of that was a sheep needed to recognize who right. their false teachers are? And then we hear in First John, right, test the spirits. Mm-hmm. You know, as a Christian, you have a responsibility to test the spirits by the yardstick of God's Word, the Bible. And I tell you what, it's really sad because most of the things that I've heard, uh, most of the conversations I've had as a pastor, have not been about God's Word. Their problems and their complaints have not been about God's Word, but about something else. And that mm-hmm. that really is sad because um, you should never leave a church really, for any other reason than false doctrine, mm-hmm. unless you move. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the thing. It's, um, uh, you know, a lot of these other things can be worked out. 
we try to be as generous and mm-hmm. as, you know, long suffer. I mean, I can tell you, you know, a couple of things like, um, I had a parishioner, he's in heaven now. Um, he and his wife didn't like chanting. They're both in heaven now, so I can talk, I can talk yeah. about it. Right. And they're probably chanting. Um, yeah. Now they're <laughs> chanting in heaven, right? <laughs> they didn't like chanting. Uh, and right after the ser- service one Sunday, they said, we think chanting is unevangelical, which when I hear that, they basically said that chanting is not the gospel, that chanting is actually against the gospel. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, you you set up a meeting with them and I said, look, this is not, chanting is not something that's weird or something that's different from the church, you know, like people in the Reformation chanted. In fact, the lessons were even chanted mm-hmm. and all this. So I had all my information and basically their thing was, well, we just don't like it. And so I said, okay, I'll scale back from chanting, Well, but we're going to do it once a month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we will make compromises on things that don't right. touch, you know, on the law of the gospel. You know, we are willing to do that mm-hmm. for the sake of unity and peace and moving forward. Because um, if there are some changes that, that they're just not ready for, or have not been still taught properly to... Right. Uh, but you actually have to trust us. Right. You actually have to trust and us. And on the same token, too, when someone... We actually pre- say... Like when I've done a sermon where someone someone said, uh, are you sure that you understood that reading properly? And uh, I, I had no offense at that mm-hmm. because they were really trying to think about what God's word is saying. It was not a matter, and it was a private matter. And uh, right. uh, that had that in no way did that bother me because they were, it was about God's word and understanding it. And I was able to clarify that they, maybe they most misunderstood what I was right. saying. And, and, but that, that was for me when, when as a pastor, especially if it's done in a, in a way that I want to better understand, not necessarily I'm confronting you about it. Right. And you know what? And cause that's what we live for. We love this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I went up to Guy's Weekend. That's all we did. Like, I mean, I clocked in a lot of overtime as a pastor there because <laughs> that's all we did was talk about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's like, this is what we do. This is what we love. And we're not in it for our own pride. Yeah. We're in it because we love God's Word and we love the truth. And so that, that from I would say for most pastors, we, we love to have those kind of conversations because— you know, it to me. You know, I've I've had some members who are in, and like I actually Arnold, although I can use his name because mm-hmm. I did his funeral sermon here. Right, it was always someone in Bible study and question mm-hmm. and all those things, and and I love those questions and I receive them with glee. I don't think he was. He's he, not out to get you. No, no, but he was making sure that I was preaching the right gospel and teaching the right word. Right, and we want other people to be that way too. Right. And so I, I respect and I appreciated that. And so, you know, so like if your pastor is starting to introduce new things, you know, maybe take a step back, maybe do your, your own due diligence, you know, that, hey, look, you know, how about you read the Book of Concord? How about you do some of this background information, you know? Because that's also what you swore to uphold too. 
So I, I must I must admit, do you know do you know uh, I did the the song Con- Concupiscence? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That actually I got that idea of doing that because I have a member reading the Book of Concord, and he goes, "Hey, Pastor, tell me about this concupiscence thing." That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks be to God. And so I turned my answer into a song. And so if you're reading, uh, if you're looking for a way to read the Book of Concord, uh, you can go to bookofconcord.org, where it's free, but it's an older translation because it's all public mm-hmm. domain. There is a reader's edition that there can is be a, helpful. Yep, there's a reader's edition uh, that CPH puts out. So either one would be great. Uh, so, But you should, because as a, a, as a member of a congregation, it really is your responsibility and, it, you know, and this is what you'll find too, as you read it, as a as a as a lay person in the congregation, everything will be like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. A right. lot of like, a lot of it is like, of course, a lot of the the things that you will hear, it might be use different language, but it's not gonna hopefully smack you across the face as being something. Well, that's you know because right. because you've had pastors that have followed it. And uh, I hope adhere so, to anyway. the teachings, and in such a way that he may not reference all these things, but he's talked about it and he's preached on them and he taught it. And, 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 and if it, and if he hasn't, maybe it's right. time to encourage him to. And to and do by that. the way, they, they do teach you the cat the the small catechism is a part of the Book of Concord. It is, right? So, so, so you already have one down, so <laughs> you can start reading the rest. All right, the next one is. Uh, will you faithfully instruct both young and old in the chief articles of Christian doctrine? Will you forgive the sins of those who repent? Will you promise never to divulge the sins confessed to you? Will you minister faithfully to the sick and dying? Will you demonstrate to the church a constant and ready ministry centered in the gospel? Will you admonish and encourage the people to a lively confidence in Christ and in holy living? And the answer is yes, I will with the help of God. Boy, there's so much in there. I there's yeah. so much. <laughs> I have a question, you know, because I always find the weird angle. Yep. Does it bother you that it, it says forgive the sins but doesn't have the retain? Yes. I was actually gonna bring that up. <laughs> because it's implicitly there, but it's not explicitly there. That mm-hmm. pastors actually do retain people's sins. Where they say to people, and I've had to do this, thankfully not that often, uh, but I have had to do this, that, you know, you are not repentant, your sins are not forgiven, and heaven is closed to you until you repent. It sucks. It mm-hmm. is, that is not why I became a pastor, but it's something we have to do. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I almost think, too, that in the general confession, the corporate confession and absolution, you know, people say that it's pietist, but it's not. Uh, we should also have the binding key that for those who do not repent, your sins are retained. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is something, it's not pietism. People will say that, oh, well, you know, if you have that, then it's pietism. No, it's not. Because the corporate confession and absolution that happens at the beginning of the service uh, is general, right? Mm-hmm. It's a general thing. It's not like a doctor speaking individually to a patient. That's what that's right. what private confession and absolution is for, where I can tell you straight out from your confession that your sins are forgiven. Right. An example, you know, 
not to get too controversial. Mm-hmm. What every the, the right now the thing is everyone needs to take the vaccine. It's a general pronouncement, not from your personal doctor, right? But from everybody has to have this. And of course, the exceptions there are the people who can't get it, or the newborn, or uh, you know people whose immune systems are not in a place where they can actually receive that, right? So that's the difference, right? Um, you know, uh, so that's why in uh, and I I do I've seen the issues though with um, corporate confession and absolution because people who are not repentant say, well, I've been forgiven. Right. No, you haven't. You actually haven't been forgiven because you are not repentant. You have no contrition. You are not sorry for your sins. And so this absolution that we give at the beginning of the service really isn't for you. Which is why what brings then the importance and the benefit of private. Exactly. Where just like when you go into the doctor's office and you can say, ah, Bullhagen, you know, he's this height, this weight. Um, these are some of his, met- this is his medical history and they can actually tailor make six, five two twenty five. you know, they can actually six, four, <laughs> <laughs> they can actually tailor make their prescriptions for you. Right? right. Whereas if your doctor was speaking to a gym full of people, they'd say things like get to exercise, get your exercise and eat right. Mm-hmm. You know, is that good? Yeah, absolutely. But it's kind of like the sermon, right? The sermon is more like a shotgun, right, mm-hmm. with birdshot. And what we do in the sermon is we, in a sense, take the confession absolution and we delineate so it applies. We try and fill the gaps. Right. But you can't do that to every individual person sitting in the right. pew. Right. That, and that is, that is the beauty of private confession and absolution because you and I can sit down and we can deal with, you know, and, and we can deal with, you know, your particular sins, the sins which you know and feel in your heart, mm-hmm. right? So, so yeah, no, I, yeah, that is, I do think that is, it, it's not wrong, but it really should be explicit in the ordination vows. Right. But then it, it goes on to, you know, you could take what, it, what, what does this say? Okay, visiting, forgiving. Um, you mean the... Uh, uh, the vow uh, itself, yeah. Yeah, so like the educating or instructing both young and old. Right. Yeah. And and so there you can there's lots of things that you can say also that aren't here. Right. Well, with the instructing young and old, I think it's very important for us. Well, see, but that's the thing is going back to uh you know, um forgiving the sins of those who repent. It actually is in John chapter 20, right? That you should forgive those, you know, those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Those whose sins you retain, they are retained, retained right? Yeah. So that's actually in the Bible, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it should be there. Right. Um, because then you do get the thing, well, it doesn't say, right? It doesn't say there that, you know, you promise to retain sins, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know. Now, the instructing young and old, you know, um, visiting, right? Visiting our shut-ins, that is not commanded by God in Scripture, Right? Right. It's not actually commanded that thou shalt visit the shut ins once a month. Right? Yeah. But what you're doing is you are, uh, the shut ins are still given the commandment to remember the Sabbath day. Right. So this is what we call an application, right? Mm-hmm. This is an application. And we've set it up in a, such a way that uh, 
you know, how do we instruct the old that are no longer able to come to church? Well, we've kind of set up a way in which we visit them, mm-hmm. right? Could it be a different way? Yeah. Yeah, it could be a different way, right? And so this is where it's very important for lay people to know that the form that something is now mm-hmm. can change. The instructing young and old, that can't change. And and for the, the listener, then do you, you are in this foul because if the pastor is to instruct the old and the young, you know... You, you fit are, in one of those categories. You're in one of those categories. So, you know, in that then is the reverse... Um, to be instructed, to actually listen to the instruction, to go to Bible class. Right. You know, to be in church. Bible class, Sunday school, uh, different Bible classes throughout the week, extra preaching dates. I mean, that's the thing. The way that this takes place is going to vary from region to region. The way Pastor Bullhagen uh, teaches the young is going to be different than the way I teach the young, partly because I have a parochial school. Mm-hmm. You know, th- so right there, there are going to be differences uh, but we are still both uh, fulfilling the command to instruct the young and the old. And then it continues, and finally, will you honor and adorn the office of the Holy Ministry with a holy life? Will you be diligent in the study of scriptures and the confessions? This is it gets to your leisure, I think. <laughs> ah, right. And will you be constant in prayer for those under your pastoral care? Oh, you didn't, so, you didn't talk about uh, not divulging. Oh, we didn't talk about, yes. Uh, when, when you confess your sins— to the pastor, okay? When you confess your sins to the pastor, he has taken a vow to not divulge. So even if he gets called up to the stand to testify, he can't Mm -hmm. say anything. And there's a great movie on this, Alfred Hitchcock's I Confess. Awesome movie. If you can find it, you should watch it. This explains not divulging the sins uh, that are confessed to you um, wonderfully and beautifully. It's cinematically beautiful. The writing is very good, too. So anyway, adorning the office with a holy life, uh, devoting yourself to study, right? That leisure, leisure Mm -hmm. that we've talked about, Mm -hmm. which is important. That is what your pastor signs up for. So make sure he gets time, not just to go to conferences, but that 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 every week, indeed, every day, he should be reading the Bible. He should be studying the confessions. Right. So it's a constant, constant learning. Right. He's called by God and made a vow to, to study, do that. To do that, and if he feels guilty, tell him he's wrong. And that's also in service of the flock. The flock. He's 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 doing it for you, for the sake of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also you know adorn with a holy life that you know we are held to a higher standard. Yep. Now that doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't right. mean above reproach. Right. I mean, we're still sinners. We are still sinners, and we're still going to flub it. I mean, that's what happens, mm-hmm. right? However, there are a few things that if a pastor does, he's out. I, I have a top 12 list uh, that uh, I don't. we're not going to have time for today. Boy, we're just on fire with stuff today. We should do record another one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we have the energy for that. <laughs> but... but uh, the comment I have, because the whole top 12 list is, is how to talk to your pastor, especially if there's some sort of a conflict. Right. Okay? And what on, what on the list is, remember that every Sunday, your pastor 
forgives your sins. Mm-hmm. And, and why would I say that? Well, imagine if if you're holding your pastor to something he did eight months ago, a year ago, and holding his feet to the fire, mm-hmm. and being burned and consumed by that, while the pastor then, each Sunday, forgives you your sins. Right. You know, that that is that that forgiveness of sins should also affect you and and uh remember that uh cuz that that speaking behind the collar moment yeah you know, less for myself cuz i can say thankfully i don't really have a lot of conflict mm-hmm. in my ministry um but um i do hear a lot as a of complaints over the many years of various different things right and uh, and the fact that the pastor isn't always given the same amount of grace by people who demand that he gives grace to them. Right. Pretty pretty quick. Uh, a lot of years of service can be forgotten mm-hmm. over something that really isn't that. You know, we 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 receive the forgiveness from the pastor every Sunday. But we're not gonna we're gonna take our time in forgiving right him. Yep, because we will make mistakes if if at all. That's the thing, and that's a really hard thing. They'll say things like, "Well, I I forgive, but have they really?" So, and then uh, it closes out then the the vows um, with uh, the candidate kneels and. Uh, the presiding pastor says, Peace be with you. As a father has sent me, I also send you, from John 20. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And then the, the, the pastor is called by name and, and it says, I ordain and consecrate you into the office of holy ministry of the word and sacraments in the, name, in the one holy Catholic uh, an ap- apostolic church in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. And this is this is something the Bible holds out too. Mm-hmm. One thing that amazes, uh, maybe if you really think about it, when does Jesus actually start preaching? He doesn't start preaching until after his baptism, until after he is called, he is uh, invested with his threefold office. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, because you talked about, you know, a ta- speaking the gospel to family and friends and being, you know, but there's also the aspect of doing it in a public manner. Right. Having that call. And so, uh, for example, an example of this is now, for example, the vicar, when he preaches, you know, he doesn't preach a sermon that I haven't right. gone over with him. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, even our own debates about some of those things uh, in the ministerium have been interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, and we can talk about that some other time, you know, not between you and I, but because I know some guys, uh, they won't let their vicars preach because they're not in the office. Hmm. You know, so, which I think might actually be kind of a neat uh, discussion Mm -hmm. at some point, but. But uh, the vicar won't give the Lord's Supper. Right. Or baptize, right? Because he's not, right? Called, nor ordained. So, um, now there, there, um, 
there aren't any vows from the the congregation in this asp from in the ordination, mm-hmm. but there are vows that the congregation makes in the installation, right part. Uh, I don't think we're going to have time to do that today, but we can certainly do that next time, right? Um, and uh, um, but uh, it can the, this concludes with uh, the uh, the Lord's prayer, and, and the um and the charge that you may faithfully now preach the gospel, administer the sacraments. And uh, it, he does say um, to the, the, the beloved, actually there is, it says, Beloved in the Lord, Holy Scripture says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then, will you... Uh, the faithful, according to the church's public confession, speaking the word the whole church receive as name, as your servant of Christ and minister of the word and sacrament. If so, then we will. So so they do. They, so they do. I was wrong. No. I apologize. Take that out, Bean. No, that's good. I mean, yeah, I mean, they uh, they do. Like, when you make your pastor's life miserable, he doesn't want to be your pastor anymore. I know that might seem very, very uh, easy to understand, but... I mean, he still will. He still will, because he's made a promise. He's made a vow, yes. But if you make your pastor's life miserable, if you don't obey him according to the word of God, uh, he's not going to want to be your pastor anymore. Mm-hmm. You actually make his life suck. And it's, a, it's and a, when you make his life suck, then... the. Him doing his job, it's much, much harder for him to do what Christ has sent him to, to do. And so you are actually hindering the preaching of the gospel when you do that. So, And, and uh, there's an all-encompassing th- speaking to pastors. And, and also in that vow, I think that's important to hear too, is that you are saying that you are receiving him according to the church's public confession. Not your personal. Not your personal one. And so you need to, uh, you actually need to uh, um, know what your church believes. And if you don't believe it, then you should probably go somewhere else. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm getting tired. Peter, how are you? How is that energy kicking in? Yeah, I'm bouncing off the walls, man. Heart is going 200 beeps per minute. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of look like a Mexican jumping bean. Yep, you find you find all this fascinating. It must be the jalapeno. Yeah, yeah. good. So next 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 time you should do a or top twelve or something. Oh, what what I want to know I do what's, a top twelve on? I don't know. <laughs> Let's get behind the producer's hat. How about that? Oh, okay, like top twelve ways to try and get two pastors in the same room every week. Well, that could be one. <laughs> Or uh, <laughs> kind of your maybe even your like top twelve favorite conversations or the weirdest things we've talked about on here. <laughs> or you know, I I think you have a lot of ammunition. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, did we we did this whole thing right? Yes, yeah. we did at the beginning. We okay, did we did it at the beginning. So you know how to get a hold of us. I'm Berg. I'm Bullhagen. And may your vows be sincere. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clericalheirspodcast. 
on Twitter at Clerical Heirs P for podcast or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.